Good morning, and I greet you in the name of the one who is worthy of all of our praise and who wants us, according to our lesson this morning, that we would be unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, and the fullness of Christ. How do we stand today? It's a growing experience, but are we formed as Jesus Christ? Someone has said, if you want your ideas to last for years, you write them upon paper. If you want them to last for a decade, you write them on a brick. If you want your ideas to last for centuries, you write them on stone. If you want them to last forever, you write them on the heart of a child. Message title of my message this morning is Building Conviction in Our Families. And I am blessed to see young families here today. But we're all part of contributing to building. And this process is sometimes a daunting process. Sometimes that we feel our our very inadequacies, and that's good, because God wants to fill those. I reminded the verse from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are the work of thy hand. And I can just picture in my mind's eye this analogy of the Lord taking us into forming us into something that is usable, and that is in his image that he wants us to be. And as parents, if we have not been able to receive and understand that God wants to be formed in us, we will have a very negative effect in forming that same image into our children. Years ago, we had an old record that's dating me, I know. But a, name, a man by the name of Jack Holcomb sang a song, and in part of the song he had this little part that he quoted. And I had to go back, I, I remembered part of it, but I went to my mom and I said, Mom, do you by chance have that old album? And she said, yeah, I do. And so she dug it out of the archive somewhere, and I was able to write down these words. And he said it this way, I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day, and as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded to my will. I came again when days were past. The bit of clay was hard at last. The form I gave it still it bore, and I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and touched it gently day by day and molded with my power and art a child with soft and yielding heart. I came again when years were gone, it was a man, a man I looked upon. The early impression still he wore, and I could change that form no more. I'm reminded in parenting, we go through these different stages in some of you can relate to this as current events, and come, some can go back in your mind and historically remember how it was when you had a child that was on your lap. And you would take their little hand and put it in your hand, and the fingers would go closed, or 
you would take their little ears and wiggle them and they'd have this smile or, or they'd just sit in your lap and look into your eyes. Why do you enjoy that activity? When the little child takes your face and moves it one way or the other or wiggles on your parts of your, fa your face and then smiles. I think part of that is it's it's the idea of love. It's the idea of trust. It's the idea of building relationships. And oh, how it warms the heart of a parent. But I want to ask you, how many times do we picture ourselves sitting looking at the face of Jesus and having that intense desire and looking into his eyes and, and see that love just brimming forth into our hearts? When he takes our hands and directs them, our thoughts, and points them to Godward thoughts, our feet in the direction we ought to go. There's a sense of that unfailing giving love. Parents, do we have this morning that same love in sharing in the very lights, lives of that formidable clay in our hand and our children. I say in order for that to be effective, God needs to be part of every life. I'd like to, us to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. I'd like to read some verses from this passage. I think our activities, if we're going to build conviction, if we're going to build lives that our children can see us, Growing us coming into the stature of the fullness of God. If they're going to have that be part of their lives, they have to see it amplified in our lives. And every activity needs to be ultimately rooted and grounded in the word of God and what he has for us. Going back here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the word, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and while thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities that thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by the, his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. 
Ye shall diligently keep the commandment of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asked thee in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in and give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it, as it is all this day. And it shall be our righteousness if ye observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. I'd just like to point out a few things in these verses that I was impressed with. Verse 4, it just it introduces the details with the command that we're to heed God's instructions. We're to, um, we're to understand that God's worth listening to. I guess that's the best way to do it. But verse 5, our affections need to be toward God. We should love him in every aspect of life. And does that show in our lives that we really do love the Lord thy God? Is that utmost, is that part of, is that something that just tends to flow from us? And can our children and our families see that, yes, we do love the Lord, more by than just with lip service, but it's really part of our whole being with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. Are we content with something just less than the best or some mediocre spirituality? In our thoughts in verse 6, you know, it's impossible, it's impossible not to think about those things that are most important to us. What's important to us is what we'll think about, right? I'm not sure what you're thinking right now. It may be here. It may be on the farm. It may be in the oven. Right? We're, we're natural, that thing. But I think as we go through life, we have to remember that what is most important we're going to think about and do our children pick up on what's most important in our life? Where are our thoughts? Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 7. It talks about us teaching. Verse 7 talks about us teaching diligently our children when we sit in the house, at home, we're supposed to be teaching. Yeah, and then it goes, when thou walkest by the way, maybe, maybe we could modernize that, say when we're traveling. Good opportunities to teach about the children, teach children lessons, you know. We were talking about on the way up here this morning, the snow was just glistening from the sunshine, just pretty little glistens on top of it, and 
God made those jewels for us to enjoy. Beauty. You look at the nature. Those are lessons we teach our children. Talk about them when you're traveling. Point out God's handiwork. That's how he reveals, one of the ways he reveals himself to mankind. How God formed things and the beauty of the sky and nature around it. Excellent teaching opportunity. When thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down at bedtime. Oh my, it seems like children have numerous things they like to talk about at bedtime. But again, it's a good opportunity to just reach out and touch their little lives and help form them into what God wants them to be, to learn to trust in God. And I remember the story of a man one time that his son was having a struggle, and I, I don't remember quite all the details. He was saying something about his bedtime. He said, Dad, I'm scared. And the daddy was telling him, well, you don't have to be afraid. God is right here beside you. God's in your room. You don't have to fear of him. And he says, yeah, but I want somebody with skin. And the point was, he was trusting in his dad. And, you know, we are, to little children, dads, we so serve a very important part in helping them to learn to trust. They want you right there. They want you by their side. Excellent opportunities to teach them. When thou liest down and when thou risest up in the morning. Is it a good morning? Are we like a hibernating bear just coming out of his den? I think we can teach good things. It's a, the day the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Even though we may have some mundane things of going to work or going to school, it's still the day the Lord hath made and we should learn. We should be glad. We should be happy. Verse 8. Has the idea of put them as signs upon thy hand and frontlets between thy eyes. There's a focus point there. It's something that's important that we see. That teaching is so important that we, we have, whatever we do, whatever we, wherever we go, Yes, even on vacations. I think we have to realize God is there. Teach our children that God goes everywhere with us. Are we tempted to maybe change our principles of things we do and don't do when we go on vacation? I think that ought not to be. Children are very, very perceptive to inconsistencies in our lives. Godward atmosphere, verse 9. The house, the gates. Uh, we don't have to have, you know, I, I appreciate godly pictures and plaques. And my daughter was commenting on Dirk Willem's picture up here. And she remembered it from probably looking in the martyr's mirror, I think. I'm not sure where she saw the picture before. But, you know, she was asking a few questions. Those are, those are good teaching aids. You know, that we have them. But it's more than just things hanging on the wall. It's the atmosphere we have there. Relating to th those, relating to neighbors when they come to visit. Uh, talking to people on the phone about important things in life. That whole atmosphere needs to be there and be appropriate. We're forming lives. They're listening. <coughs> we could go down into verse 17 and 18. In this part here, it says, do what is right and good through the life. Do what is right and appropriate. 
Then in verse 20 it says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Why do you do what you do? I hope I'm not cheapening it there, but why do you follow this? Why do you, why do you interpret the Bible this way? Or what does this mean? Oh, well, you can just go ask the preacher. He'll tell you. Huh? Uh-uh, uh-uh. It shouldn't be that way. I think those things need to be very much a part of our life. And here it says, when their son asks us why you do what the Lord commands, then the dead can give a testimony and say, well, this is what happened. And in this case, the Lord led him out of Egypt. He led him out of that land and into a promised land, into all the good things they had. And he could go back then and remind them what was in verse 12. He says, but the Lord reminded us that we're not to forget him because he blessed us with lands. And, and he said, we, when we have wells, we didn't dig and vineyards, we didn't plant and good land, which we have no right to actually. He gave them to us, but don't forget God. Those are just very, very good supreme illustrations of what God can do and wants us to do how he wants us to be ready to share that with our children. But as they grow older and we, they start understanding more and more truths of the scripture, it's an important building time. Children start coming through adolescence, can be a few rocky times. Hey, that's when they need you, mom and dad. That's when they especially need you. Those are some very informable times. And you know when you feel, I don't know how to answer that question. I know someone that does, but you've got to fall on your knees to talk to it. And our inadequacies are placed there, I think, so we just have a full-time awareness that God's still forming us so that we can be the image of God to help form our children into that same image. Until they come to the point that they have that realization that God wants to be formed in their lives, then we come alongside of them and continue to bless them and build them for the cause of the kingdom. I read that one of the greatest cries of Martin Luther's life when he was standing firm and alone on a conviction that he had refused to surrender, he was confronted furiously by a powerful appointment. Did he realize, asked the opponent, what he was doing and what power he was defying. Did he expect any force worth mentioning to take up arms and come to his help? No, said Luther quietly. I do not expect that. Then where will you be, thundered the, dig the dignitary who had come to challenge him. Where will you be? And to that, Luther answered in words that seemed to go the very to the very heart of things. I shall be where I have always been, in the hands of an almighty God. I guess I would say that in Martin Luther's case, he realized God was there, he was present, he was right there at all times. And, if, and to inform and to teach that very principle we need to have that same feeling around the house, that God is there. And we need to teach that. Now, we as God's people are not exempt. 
from difficult times, from injury, from trials, from sickness, from death, from things we didn't plan, from things we, we don't even want to, maybe things we cringe at when we think about, from those events. But we have to understand that we are in a sin-cursed world. And when those difficult times were come, those are also good teaching experiences. How do we respond? What do we say? Oh, God, why did you let this happen to me? Or do we lift our hands to him and learn from them? I have a few points there. Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. But God is operative. Here it says that the whole creation groans and travails. Yeah, there's difficult things that happen. But God is operative. God's hands are in everything that takes place. I believe that. We know that part of the result of man's of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, for the women, he said, you're going to have pain and childbearing. Um, and said, the husband's going to rule over you. For the man, he says, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and there's going to be thistles and weeds and all those things we fight against. That's part of the fall. We live in that earth. We live in that world. That sweat, when it drips down our face and we wipe it out of our eyes, just remember, just remember that we live in a fallen world, but we have a God that offers the remedies. He offers the release for us that we can have joy in life even through difficult times. The attitudes we need to have and need to express, and our children can often see these when we have difficult times. As Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. We need an attitude of faith. We have a faith in God that is unfailing, unwavering. What God says, we believe. God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do we believe that? We have a faith in God that he'll walk beside it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. Do we believe that? Do we express that? Do we convey that? Do we have an attitude of meekness? Can we look objectively at these troubles? You know, rather than so many times we, we maybe have a perspective of the results and how bad it might be, but can we not look, what is God trying to teach me in this? What is he trying to help me with? And I didn't plan that this is going to wreck this whole time. No. God does not want us to become angry at him. In fact, to man's fallen nature, too often times, I think, if not physically, intrinsically, they shake a fist at God and say, God, why? That ought not be. And I think in raising our families, they'll see how we respond to these situations. And are we angry with God, or, or do we have a meekness and say, Lord, please teach me. And help me to learn what you're trying to teach. Sometimes I'm a slow learner. But help me to learn and help me to do it right and do it now. 
We're going to want our children to respond in situations like that. We have to be the first to realize God's in control. Job said again, though, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job knew that God was working something in his life. And he had every reason, I think, probably become a bit disgruntled with life. and said, God, why in the world everything? In fact, when his wife said, you should just curse God and die, he said, you speak as a silly woman. Because Job knew there was something deeper. There was something deeper in his relationship with God than even his closest physical relationship of his wife. Third point, time of trouble, we need an attitude of prayer. Prayer is not just an action. However, I think it should be a very visible action in our homes. I think it's good if we pray. I think it's good if we hear our children pray for them. I think it's good if we hear our children, if our children hear us pray for those needs around us in those situations in life that we face, that we can face them correctly. And God wants to hear thanksgiving. He wants to hear praise. You know, God's not just a trauma God. Oh, God, help me here. Somebody's sick and, and someone... God hears those things. I understand that. But I think too often we face when things get hard, then, God, please, 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 stop. You understand? And I think we just need to have that, that attitude of prayer and, and pray is just part of our life. If we're going to be formed to the image of God, it requires close communication. It's not something we can just expect to do part of the time, and our children need to hear that. In times of trouble, we need an attitude of thanksgiving. This may be one of the most difficult for us to exercise. But thank you, Lord. When things go wrong, when difficult times one of the ways we can release our attitudes of anger and bitterness and fear and anxiety on those is just have a heart of thanksgiving. Oh, but that's so hard. That's so hard. Yes, in ourselves it is not always easy. But God himself can be the very cause of our joy. He's entrusted to us things, and if those things pass away, he knows all about it. He's trying to teach us lessons. He's trying to teach us principles. We also need that attitude of trust, overcoming and, and that we trust God, that he's going to lead us. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. And the next verse says in Proverbs 3, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And I think we sometimes forget that aspect. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct thy paths. Well, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. Yeah, we don't, we don't come with our own understanding. But the principle is we acknowledge him as Lord of our life. We say, yes, Lord. Second Samuel chapter 22. A few verses from that passage. passage. Second Samuel 22, 1 through 4. There it says, verse 1, 2 Samuel 22, 1, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song, and the day that the Lord hath delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies, 
and out of the hand of Saul. Was he had a tough situation in life? I, I'm impressed how many times David in his life, when he could have just retaliated, when he could have felt bad about life, it seemed like he, was, he just had this joy in him because he knew the Lord. Anyway, it says, uh, verse 2, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. The Lord is my rock, and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. Let, let me see. How many adjectives can you add to the Lord being Lord of your life? If you would describe him today, what would you write down? It's not an exercise of futility. Try it. The Lord is my... Finish it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Bring it up sometime around the table. What is the Lord? How can we describe the Lord? What is he to you? Let the children have input. Let them talk about what he is. Excellent opportunities to teach them. Verse 4, I will call upon the Lord, on the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be saved from mine enemies. David had that heart where he realized where he could get his marching instructions. I'll call on the Lord. He'll direct me. He'll give me the right attitude, the right outlook on life. Psalm 37, verse 3. You could go look the whole Psalm 37. It talks about not fretting when we see how things happen to me. But in verse 3, he says, Trust the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. You go on later in the passage, I believe it's the same psalm. He said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. He had the confidence that so what God said he would accomplish, and, and he trusted in his God. He had an unwavering trust. A couple things I think we need to understand. When difficult times come, and we're trying to share those with our children, our family, and say, how do we handle these situations? We don't welcome them. We don't welcome calamities, no. We're in this sin-cursed earth. We'll never be able to fully understand why, good, why bad things happen to good people. We don't. But one thing we know is that God is totally sovereign. And we have to understand it. We have to get that principle in our minds. He's infinite in wisdom. He knows so much more than us. You know, our... Our most brilliance is as nothing to God in wisdom. The only wisdom we have is realizing we can tap into his wisdom. There's a wise man. To know the source of wisdom. And then try to assimilate parts of that into life. But he's infinite. He's way beyond. He's what It talked about Solomon being the wisest man, I believe, in 2 Kings. It's, it talks about him being this walking encyclopedia. He knew everything. He knew about plants. He knew about animals. He, he wrote songs. He did it all. Wise man. But you look in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. Because he realized his wisdom was not, was not going to do him any good of himself. You know, I think that's so often in our life, our continuing education needs to be focused on being wiser in Christ. That's our focus. Another thing I think we have, can explain and understand is God loves us perfectly. 
And because of that love for us, we can trust him completely as a father and as a child loves and trusts one another that can be built and that can be developed as we continue on. Every difficult person, every difficult situation, we may meet EGR people, extra grace required. We have difficult people that we come in contact with, yes. Every difficult situation that we face is a tool in God's hand to form us into a character. It's, it, it may be rubbing, it may be take some pain, and how do we respond to that? Many times, men, because of our nature, we get silent. We internalize those things. Um, I think that's part of the nature because our head is invisible and we can talk to our God. Oftentimes, women, when they face difficult situations, they like to talk to someone about it, and their head is the proper place to talk about it. They have to share that. Because of our nature, they say men love to go to caves and women love to go to committees. Well, not been a woman. I know what caves are like. But we have to work on that. But you know, that's, we're different natured. And I think we, we, can, we talk about maybe situations of hard people to deal with, and let's make sure that we and our children do not hear us talking about in derogatory ways or, oh, so-and-so is calling again, you know. I resisted at our household for many, many years. You'll laugh at this, I probably, but I resisted caller ID. Not because I like telemarketers, no, no not by any means, but because I wanted to have that opportunity to answer every phone call and be able to see how God wanted me to respond to who was on the other end. Well, now we have a package that it came automatically, you know, how some of those they bundled things up, but I have to be careful that if I see certain numbers that I recognize, oh, I don't want to talk to them now, just let the answering machine take it. You know, I think if this if we're doing things with the family, family devotions, let the answering machine take it. Don't let it disturb you. I think those are proper times. But we need to accept the challenges that come our day, and, and our family needs to see us be able to deal with those things. At times we can say, you know, we're finished, we've got to go, we have other things to do, or you might start all over in the same conversation again. We've talked with people like that. Another thing I think we've had is... Um, Really, the way we face life's issues will depend if we are in a classroom or if we're in a prison. It's usually one or the other. Can we learn from it or do we feel like we're being bound and can't move and can't do things? If I concentrate on building my godly character and becoming into this image of God, letting him form us, then we'll understand that as I concentrate on that thing, we will understand the truth of Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Easier for us to say that than sometimes to accept it. But we have to concentrate on, on saying, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want me to understand? What do you want me to learn? I know that someday 
we look back in retrospect, we sometimes can even do it now in this life. We look back and say, that was God's working. We see God's hand in it. But someday, when we have perfect knowledge, just over yonder, we'll be able to say, it was worth it all. I'm convinced of that. I get open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 35. Another passage here. Referring to the Rechabites. And I was blessed in this area of having a conviction. We look historically here. What took place. This account is probably 250 or 300 years after they were given this mandate. And now in verse 1 it says the word which came unto Jeremiah excuse me the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah saying go into the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink then I took Jeazaniah the son of Jeremiah the son of Habazaniah and his brethren and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maaseah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. <coughs> neither shall ye build houses, nor sow seeds, nor plant vineyards, nor anything, but all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers." Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all our days. We, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyards, nor fields, nor seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Just rehearsing on this a little bit. This commandment was given many, many, many years back, and it was passed down through generations, as I understand. And here they were brought to this case, and they brought, well, here's this big pot of wine and, and cups, and, and go ahead and drink. No, we won't drink that. Oh, this is good wine, it's, it's, it's freshly squeezed from our arbors. I don't know what they said, you know, but... Oh, go ahead and have some. Why not? How did they have instilled in their mind that they were not going to drink this wine because probably everybody else was doing it, right? So no, we can't do that. We were told we're not to drink wine, we're not to plant vineyards, we're not to build houses. 
and say they were living as nomads. They were moving from place to place. Why were these things there? Why were they supposed to imitate their father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the rest of the patriarchs? Why were they supposed to not dwell in these areas? The principle was he was that their forefathers were trying to teach them they were pilgrims and strangers. They were not to put their, their roots down in the land and this was the principle he had brought to them. Were they a minority? Yes. Yes, they were. But they had this, this determination, this, this principle in their heart and life that they would not disobey their forefathers. I ask us sometimes how deep are our roots in our kingdom principles? Do they come in conflict? Are our roots so deep in this earth that we can't pull ourselves and see that according to the scripture our kingdom is not of this world? How are we as kingdom Christians from what we have been taught and what our forefathers had stood for? And we can go back numbers of years, we can look in the martyr's mirror and every time I do it just brings tears to my eyes. Do our children have a conviction that they are going to be able to stand? We may face some difficult things. I'm not a prophet. But the word of God says in the last days, perilous times will come. And in my definition of that, we're in the last days. So things may happen. Trouble sometimes. Things we don't understand. In the introduction to Martyr's Mirror, I would like to read just one paragraph. It says, many of them, talking about the Anabaptists that were martyred, it says, many of them would have exchanged the darkest and severest dungeons, excuse me, for many of them would not have exchanged the darkest and severest dungeons or the caves of the earth in which they have to hide themselves for royal palaces. The wilderness was to them a delightful pleasure garden. The howling of the wild beasts which surrounded them as sweet music or the songs of the birds. And water and roots, of, and roots or dry bread delighted them more than the dainties and drink from the tables of the great. All this was granted them by the magnificent hand of God on account of the constancy of their faith, from which they could by no means or be made to swerve nor brought to waver in it on account of their living hope, which begat in their souls a longing for the future riches so that they were enabled to esteem the present ones as of little worth and forget them, and on account of their unquenchable love for God, his holy truth, his beloved, and their beloved fellow believers, whereby their soul was kindled into a flame far more intense than were their bodies through physical fire, though, though, though these were reduced to ashes. Just paraphrasing that, these people were willing to take the less advantaged things from our perspective, housing, food, and the wild beast, they were willing to take those things because they had a deep conviction in their heart that their God was worth living for. And he was also worth dying for. You go to back to Daniel chapter 3 and the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
when the king came out in his fury and said, if you don't bow to me, well, I'm going to throw you in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And they said, our God is able to deliver us. But they said, if not, we're still not going to change our ways. If not, we're still going to stand true and strong. We're not going to bow our knee to that, that big old golden image idol there in the valley of Dura. We will not, we will not, we will not. If our children or our young people would be taken to another land, have we instilled a conviction in their heart that they would not bow the knee? Reminded of a young 13 and a half year old boy. His name was Pelagrius, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's taken from Martyr's Mirror. And he had this statement. He said, I am a Christian. I will remain a Christian and obey only Christ's command all the days of my life. Those were his faithful words. An Arabian king had taken Pelagrius with his uncle and he had imprisoned them and after some sort of pledge, the uncle was left to go free. His uncle was a bishop somehow, but he kept his Pelagras because he was a fine young man. And he thought, maybe I can take this young man and make something out of him. But the king kept proposing to this young man some very improper things. It doesn't say exactly what it is, but it says Pelagras refused to live shamefully for the devil and pollute both body and soul with abominable sins. The angry king commanded the guards to suspend him, Pelagoras, suspend him and with iron tongs to pinch him and haul him up and down. He would be made to die or denounce Christ as his Lord. And I can only imagine what that's like. He was hanging there and they would take these irons on and pull his flesh until it would tear and pinch and oh my body just cringes at the feelings of that. Pelagrius said I am a Christian, I will remain a Christian and obey Christ's command all the days of my life. When the tyrants perceived that this immovable young 13 year old 13 and a half year old young man was steadfast. They brought him before the king. He was dripping in blood. As he stood before the king, he lifted up his hands. He said, Oh Lord, deliver me out of the hands of my enemies. And when he lifted up his hand, the executioners pulled his arms across, lobbed off one arm, and then the other. Then they cut off both legs, finally cut off his head and threw him in the river. I guess I have a feeling heart, my heart just bleeds for this young man. I want to shake hands with him someday in glory. He'll be perfectly whole. 
But you know, there was something inside of that young lad's life that was not just placed there 20 seconds before he was arrested. There was something that was instilled in his heart and mind that I am a Christian and I will remain a Christian all the days of my life. And nothing from the pinching of tongues to the cutting off of his limbs was going to change his heart. Are we building conviction? Are we building something solid? Do, do our children see that that stick to Do they see that determination? Do they see that stamina oozing from our lives in our love for the Lord? Luke chapter 1, the first four verses. Luke giving some words to Theophilus. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having that had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. We have a tremendous responsibility in our training, in our educating, in our building our children's lives. That we must know the certainty of it. Did, did you ever try to tell someone how to fix something that you didn't know anything about? It'd be futile, right? It'd be absolutely futile. It, if my wife would have me try to sew a dress for her, I'm sure she wouldn't wear it. I would, I would, I'd be lost. But you understand the analogy. How about us? If we're trying to tell others about the love of Jesus and how we can be formed into the image of it, we gotta know all about it. We gotta possess that. We must know the certainty of those things, and we must believe the scriptures. We must understand them. We must assimilate them to our heart and life. They must come, just flow from us as we live. Titus 1.9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers that he can preach it, that it can come forth from his life. In Sunday school class we were talking about, you know, sometimes when we have to face others about difficult things and exhortation, you know, whatever it may be, we have to have our relationship right with God. We have to know where we stand. We must say it out of a heart of love, but we have to have that settledness in our heart that God is moving with us. We're by his side. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed them, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Persuaded. They were, they were determined. They had this in the mark. They understood it. 
They, they understood the truths. They understood what was taking place. They didn't understand everything as we have it today. But they died in faith. They were believing. They all believed. They understood, embraced these things, and confessed them and said them time and time again that what God said he would accomplish. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have that underlined in your Bibles from Romans chapter 8, the last two verses? Is that your heart? I am persuaded. I am completely committed that nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. I'll tell you, that persuasion is much more eternal and much more effective in teaching our children than the debate over Ford or Chevy or John Deere International or Husqvarna or Viking or anything in between. Yes? Yes. Second Timothy 1 verse 12 For the which cause I also suffer these things Nevertheless I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed And am persuaded that he is able To keep that which I have committed Unto him against that day I am persuaded That he is able Oh brothers and sisters We have such a glorious example we have such a glorious Bible that we can learn from. We have a, such a glorious responsibility in the lives of the children that God has entrusted to us. Let us not be lax in doing everything in our part to teaching our children persuading them, helping them to understand of the things of the Lord. John Howard Hilton's daughter said to him as she knelt by his deathbed, said, Dad, there's no greater blessing than for children to have godly parents. And the next said the dying father with a beam of gratitude for parents to have godly children. 